Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis of the beautiful game. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me for the first time in what feels like eons is of course the TWP's very own handsome Jean-Luc Picard, Mr. Duncan Castles, and in a triumphant return from an expedition up the Congo to find a chap called Kurtz, it's our very own heart of darkness, Mr. Ian McGarry. Welcome back, Ian. Oh, it's lovely to be back, Johnny. Yes, indeed. Um, I didn't find Colonel Kurtz or indeed who was in charge, uh, but never mind. <laughs> Uh, I did, however, uh, seek an answer to one of, um, of of the human nature's most profound problems, which, of course, what do butterflies do when it rains? So I, I feel enriched. Good. Glad for it. And you, you presumably you're coming back full of transfer news. And, Indeed. Uh, right away, you have some uh, tales for us regarding Liverpool's plans for next season. It looks like their plans are already underway to defend the title. Yes, Johnny, I think this is um, an extremely mature approach um, to uh, Liverpool's current success. Uh, something which, you know, all great runs, people call them dynasties, but, you know, the cycles of success that teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester City have been more used to in recent years. Liverpool, not so much clearly. But Liverpool um, are applying uh, this sense of strengthen from a position of strength. So what they've done is they have already begun what you could call a campaign of canvassing. And by canvassing, I mean they have um, invited uh, their top players' representatives to meetings with the club's uh, transfer committee and indeed football operations department. Uh, I'm led to believe that Jurgen Klopp is informally invited to join these discussions if he feels he should. But uh, I'm also told that Klopp has decided to leave it to the administrators uh, and he would only become involved if he needed to, basically. Now, the question they're putting to uh, players' representatives, and I'll, I'll just name you the players who've already had meetings. Uh, that's Joel Matip, uh, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane's representatives have already been in uh, to have this conversation. And the main question is, uh, does or do you expect your client to either leave, want to leave, or have offers to leave Liverpool Football Club this coming summer window. And of course, the reason for that is Liverpool want to successfully defend what is their title to lose. They're not going to lose it now, that's for sure. But they are aware that these are the kind of guys who will be top of the market in terms of desirability for other clubs who want to try and offer a new challenge as well as, of course, improve dramatically their own squad with some of the best players in the world. So their uh, solution to this is to simply say, right, let's have the grown-up conversation rather than wait for summer to come along and for us to have 
long-winded transfer uh, tales um, of on, off, on, off, like Liverpool uh, felt they suffered and certainly Philippe Coutinho's form suffered during that drawn-out um, transfer to Barcelona, which, of course, has gone so well. He's now on loan at Bayern Munich and not even playing there. So Liverpool's um, ambition is to avoid that kind of situation. Uh, so instead of being in a, a point where they want, uh, uh, they just want to leave it to, to come on to them, if you like, and not exactly be surprised because obviously the, the drums do beat around the big clubs. But uh, instead, they want to be able to to deal with their players and their representatives in a very sort of timely and mature fashion and say, right, OK, if your player absolutely wants to leave, then OK, we'll think about it. But at the same time, we'll think about an upgrade on the contract. And um, if we can find a middle way uh, or find a way for the player to stay because we want him to stay, then that's what we'll do. If not, then we will obviously make and cut our cloth accordingly with regards to a possible sale and a possible replacement. Now, to my knowledge, Mo Salah is the only one of the superstar players who's yet to be spoken to, his agents have yet to be spoken to. And... Um, that being the case, uh, I don't think there's any worry about that. There's just been uh, a lot going on in terms of that particular meeting being set up. This, of course, doesn't really apply to the younger players because even though there is much a um, integral part of this championship winning side, uh, here, of course, I'm speaking about Alexander-Arnold Robertson um, in particular. Uh, they are seem to be very loyal. They've already had um, handsome contract upgrades in the last year to 18 months. You can say the same has been the case for Jordan Henderson, who uh, signed a three-year extension, now a five-year deal. So you could say the first 11 are more or less, you know, if they're not in conversations already tied up, then those it's all getting a bit closer. I don't expect necessarily to lose any players, but you can see from perhaps, I'd say Firmino might be the most, uh, I wouldn't say likely to leave, but... He's possibly one of the players who'd be tempted to leave. I say that because um, he's now won the Champions League. He'll win the league title for the first time in Liverpool in 30 years. If, I, if you're a player who, with ambition and you know the kind of um, curiosity that Firmino clearly has been Brazilian, having played in the Bundesliga and now having played in England, then if a big offer came in from one of the two Spanish uh, giants or indeed to Bayern Munich and go back to the Bundesliga, then maybe he'd be tempted. Um, but again, that's not to say he would leave. But if you're going to go out on a high at Liverpool, then you can get much more of a high than 30 years, uh, you know, winning that title. You can imagine what the celebrations are going to be like. In fact, Liverpool already started, and, uh, and Liverpool, uh, despite Jurgen Klopp's refusal to join in just yet. So I think this is, as I said right at the beginning, this is a very mature thing to be doing, to having these conversations now. Some people might listen and think, well, surely you're asking for trouble if you're actually asking players, agents, if the players can move because they're going to lie and say yes anyway because they want more money. I'm not sure that's the kind of relationship Liverpool have managed to foster. So far, this is a team which has been together for a considerable time, working towards these very goals that they're now beginning to achieve. And in having this conversation, what Liverpool are saying with certainty is, we don't want to lose your player. We want to stay. We want to build more. We want to win more titles. We want to Champions League again. And you, we want your player to be part of that. But if you're telling us there's a chance that he will leave or he wants to leave, then we will also talk about that. What we don't want to do is have the communication breakdown and you end up chapping on our door in July this summer saying, right, that's it, I want my player out or he wants it or whatever. So um, 
I believe this is a, a you know it's not revolutionary, but I think it's something very sensible. What were you, Duncan? Have you ever have you heard of this kind of thing happening with an entire team before? It certainly happens a lot with individual players, that's for sure. No, I haven't heard about it happening with an entire team before. Um, and I, I think I agree with you. I think it's it's very intelligent on Liverpool's part. What you have in the modern game are players and their representatives being more powerful than ever um, and being more expensive than ever to retain and uh, and keep control of. So I think what Liverpool are doing here is you know saying that we got ourselves to the top of the English tree by in in large part by sorting out our recruitment system. The recruitment wasn't very good at all in the early years under FSG. They then um, landed upon the strategy of of picking up players like Salah and uh, Sadio Mane from the kind of second tier of European clubs where they were viable, um, where clubs like um, Red Bull and uh, and Roma would sell um, Alison Becker is another example here. If you put a high enough transfer fee down on the table and you can convince a player to come because moving to Liverpool, moving to the Premier League is an upgrade. And they and they've been strategic and uh, got the vast majority of the transfers right and they built this squad and built this first team that has won the Champions League and is currently dominant in the Premier League. And now what they're doing is saying, right, we've got ourselves to this level. How do we stay here? And what are the problems that face a squad that's got to this level um, in the environment of football where players like Mohamed Salah will have an ambition to play in Spain, um, to play for Madrid or Barcelona like most top players do um, and are likely to end up there if they carry on playing the way they do. Um, So why not manage the process so it makes the most money for Liverpool in terms of transfer fee and so that Liverpool are forewarned and able to replace appropriately. And I think you see some of that with this attempt to recruit Timo Werner, um, who, as you explained, Ian, fits in well to Liverpool's system, able to play across that front three, player that Jurgen Klopp likes. Um, You can attain Werner for a limited release clause this summer, put him in the squad and, uh, and have him ready for the period in which a Salah or a Sadio Mane or a Roberto Firmino decides, actually, I've got the opportunity to play in another league. Um, quite possibly that league will be La Liga for one of the, the absolute top status clubs um, with a big pay rise. I'm going to take it. Liverpool turn potentially 100 million profit in those deals if they, if they time it right. Um, I think they're also looking at the issues that Pep Guardiola is facing at Manchester City, um, the kind of inertia that comes about from repeated success. If you have a team winning two Premier Leagues in a row, and obviously Liverpool haven't done that yet, but that's their ambition. Um, and they are going to be in a position where they have won Champions League and backed that up with the Premier League. So you, you, you have that element of, will the players get lazy? Um, will they think well, we're on the top now and we don't have to work as hard as we have worked. And one thing for sure about Liverpool's way of playing, it requires a a great deal of physical effort on the pitch. Um, So it it makes sense for them to be anticipating those problems as well and thinking about recruitment from the perspective of there there comes a time where you need to shake up the squad, you need to turn the squad over. 
And again, let's do that in a way that benefits us. So if you have that adult conversation with the players and say to them, do you, are you interested in leaving? Do you have a club that could satisfy us in terms of a transfer fee available this summer? Right, let's have a think about that. Okay, we're open to that. If you, if you can make that deal happen um, and that's what you want to do, we're okay with that happening now because we have a replacement lined up and uh, the financial terms are good for us. Um, and, and then it becomes far easier to achieve your transfer fee and, and to secure the replacement. So you're working in a way there, kind of way that Ajax do um, on, a, on a different level and that Ajax will have their star players and they produce arguably the best talent in European football. They know they will sell them at a certain point and they tend to do it in an adult fashion with the with the players, or they prefer to do it in an adult fashion with the players, and 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 set down a pathway, um, say, okay, this summer is good for us, and this is the kind of money we're looking for. And if you've got a Liverpool, for example, or a Barcelona ready to buy you, we're prepared to to go along with that. So I, I think this is really intelligent, and um, something the rest of the Premier League needs to be worried about, because not only are Liverpool clearly better than everyone else on the field to play at the moment. They seem to be taking that positional advantage and and using it to to reorganise themselves in a way that that looks to me like it could be more effective than than anyone else in the Premier League in in, in terms of the way that kind of recruitment is done. One, one other point on this um, to make: uh, the, possibly one of the most clever aspects of this particular approach um, is, you know. The only thing that causes more disarmory in a dressing room than losing football matches is a squabble over what one player either earns or what everyone else thinks he earns or that an exorbitant new contract that player is demanding. Uh, look at the disintegration of the Manchester United dressing room in the wake um, uh, of uh, Paul Pogba being superseded by Alexis Sanchez in terms of weekly salary as well as the way uh, that um, De Gea's new contract has also put other players in the shade. Uh, look at nine game, nine wins in 25 Premier League matches. And I'm not saying that's the, the sole fault of contracts and disunity and jealousy in that dressing room. But the fact of the matter is players point fingers when they lose and they point more than one finger when a player gets rewarded for losing. Now, it's what Liverpool have done here is... Um, Every player in that Liverpool dressing room will be able to turn to the guy on his right and his left and say, "Hey, um, my my agent's been called in for a conversation with the club to see, you know, what my oh that's weird. So it's my agent." And the next guy says, "Oh, my agent's been asked as well." So you've got an entire dressing room. Everyone's involved in the conversation almost at the same time. They're all thinking, "Okay, that's quite cool, isn't it?" They want to keep us all, but if someone doesn't want to stay, they're saying, "Okay, just let us know and we'll sort it out." So you, you managed to um, preserve the harmony and unity of your dressing room by applying a rule of equality. So it doesn't matter that Matt burns you know, half of what Van Dyke does or anything else. He still feels included. He's been given the same opportunity to have his voice heard in these conversations and therefore feels like he's very much part of the club. And that's very, very clever. Uh, way of doing things because, as I said, football dressing rooms are notoriously volatile when it comes to money. 
Duncan, it is clever and it is collegiate, but there must be some players in that Liverpool dressing room that the club would not want to depart. Someone, for example, like Virgil van Dijk, who is essentially irreplaceable. Yeah, they obviously do not want to lose Van Dijk and he, you've seen the, the, the vast difference he made to, to the team and in some ways him and Alison Becker were the were have 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 been the key foundations of them coming from being, you know, a nearly club to a club that actually wins silverware. We've had we've had some talk recently that Van Dijk wants to um to leave Liverpool and that uh, Juventus are keen on recruiting him. Um, and that's something that he might be interested in, in taking up an opportunity to to play in another league, uh, based on some some quotes, um, which which could be read into in that fashion. He'd he'd um, said about his future recently. I um, put that question to a, a contact who um, who knows Juventus well, whether Juventus were actually trying to to sign the player, and uh, and his response was he, he thought the story was absolutely laughable, mainly because. Juventus do not have the money to get involved in taking someone like Virgil van Dijk from Liverpool where you're talking it would easily be 100 million euro um, plus transfer fee um, to, to get that player against Liverpool's will and you'd need to have van Dijk pushing for the move um, and you'd have to have van Dijk refusing the new contract which would inevitably come in fact Liverpool already talking about a new contract for van Dijk but they would the response to that would be we will improve your terms here stay with us so then Juventus would be required to match those terms or better them and, and he just said that Juventus are not in a financial position to get involved in this at present um, you look at their transfer market activity they're trying to offload some of their higher salaries um, because their their books are tight um, uh, off the back of signing Cristiano Ronaldo and all the other work they've done, handing big contracts to players, uh, ex Premier League players like Aaron Ramsey um, and Emery Chan, who they who they've then subsequently been forced to move out because they couldn't afford his wages. So I think they're they're safe with someone like Van Dijk. Um, and uh, and I think the strategy is, is really sound. One of the most interesting players in the market is AAC star Hakim Zayek. The question that jumps out is this. Could this be the bargain deal this summer for the elite clubs, given the performances and numbers that have been chalked up by the Moroccan international, Ian? Certainly very attractive um, proposition in terms of uh, both the players' age, 26, uh, as you mentioned, a, a, a transfer fee which is um, in line with his his uh, selling clause. After interest in him during that summer window, he'd sign a new contract with Ajax, uh, and the release clause had been increased. Now there was also interest in him in January uh, window, Johnny, and both Tottenham and Chelsea uh, were active in trying to recruit him, um, and you can see why with with his, his stats. His goals and assists, um, I think, put in the top five uh, in European football, in the Europe five, top five leagues, uh, even though the Eredivisie is not in the top five of those, uh, those in, in, included in that list. But um, he's very much uh, in the Mo Salah uh, sort of style of play, uh, very fast, very skillful, dribbles well, excellent one-on-one, um, I'm sure Frank Lampard and Chelsea players certainly kept a, 
Arthur Balaga still having nightmares about his performance at Stamford Bridge where he scored almost from the uh, the touchline, uh, the goal kick line, I should say. When uh, So very skillful. I think one of the key aspects, though, in this particular move, Johnny, is actually a departure from Chelsea, and that is uh, William leaving um, the club in the summer for free. Um, we've reported many times the transfer window that William were, was very... Um, He's certainly very apprehensive about accepting Chelsea's offer of a one-year deal, which they do allegedly as a matter of um, uh, course for any over 30s. Um, he's definitely going to uh, now leave. He's told them he was given a deadline of the end of the transfer window to either sign a new deal or commit to it. Um, at least in theory, he did neither. His agent told Chelsea the player would leave. William is a player that both Lampard uh, loves as his style of play, his work rate, his effort, his final product on the field, but really admires him as a person as well because he's so hardworking. Uh, he always gives you a full shift. Um, you know, a lot of people who uh, want to be lazy and stereotypical would say that's not a very Brazilian of them, but certainly as of William, that's for sure. Um, as well as, of course, what an amazing talent he has. He has got a, an offer from Tottenham Hotspur, which we've also reported in the transfer window uh, before now. And uh, we received a lot of stick, I think, I remember, from Tottenham fans uh, saying there's no way he would sign for us having turned us down after his medical and then choosing for Chelsea. He wouldn't be welcome, etc., etc. I think you'll find your manager feels very differently about that because he signed him for Chelsea and he's now going to sign him for, for Spurs if he can because he's got other offers as well. So ZX a, a direct response to that. As well as the kind of, um, let's just say, inconsistency uh, of other players playing in that position at Chelsea at the moment. Frank has been trying to get uh, a more uh, a more of his younger players in terms of game management. Um, he, he sees uh, just a little bit of kind of naivety in his younger players in terms of their lack of experience of when they're in a leading position or they're in a dominant position in a game, of being able to capitalise that and see the game out, maybe score another goal. And, of course, the poor run of form, um, which has uh, been very evident since uh, since the turn of the year, um, has shown that uh, there are tired minds there as well as tired legs. Ziyech, at 26, has played Champions League up to semi-final level, um, obviously played a very good technical level in Holland with Ajax as well. So um, I think he'd be a good uh, replacement for William in that sense. And uh, and someone, um, yeah, I think he would also uh, benefit the Premier League as well. Uh, I think we sometimes are too blithe uh, about the quality of the Premier League and, you know, there's this whole best league in the world type propaganda that's been running for years. And yet because of Liverpool's 22-point uh, lead in this season's um, league title race. People are now asking questions about, well, is it really as, as the quality as good as we think it is? Well, time just to maybe take a step back, look at the kind of players that's attra- that are attracted to the Premier League because of the status, because of the financial rewards, etc., etc. And um, I'm sure that, that will be augmented. You think about the amount of rebuilding jobs we hear being talked about at clubs with money like Manchester, like Manchester City. Um, Clubs with uh, money to spend again in the summer window, like Everton, Wolves, um, uh, even Leicester City, uh, will be able to generate even more money if they want to sell, to sell James Madison. So we could see a whole influx of very good players from Europe coming into all sorts of clubs next summer. ZX certainly one of those who I think the agreement will be reached in the next week or so. 
course, the player can't actually sign his registration until uh, June the 1st. And so the heads of agreement, legal agreement, will be signed between the two clubs and the player and the club, uh, which will come into effect on June 1st. Yeah, it's interesting because any Premier League club could have had him in the summer for €30 million. Euros. He had a, a limited release clause at Ajax until that point. Um, once the Premier League window closed, um, Ajax improved his contract. It's only a three-year deal he's on, but it uh, increased uh, his wages and increased the release clause to what I'm told by a contact at Ajax is in the region of €80 million. Euros. Um, I don't think Ajax are completely happy about um, what's happening with Chelsea and what's happening with the player's agent. Um, so, And I think they will try and get other clubs involved in this, if they can, um, before he commits to the Chelsea um, project um, because they will want to maximise the transfer fee and, uh, and €45 million Euros when they have a release clause on 80 is... Um, at the low end of what you might be able to expect them to get, given his performances for them, given his performances in the Champions League, he is predominantly plays off the right wing, but can play all the way across the attack. And you're you're talking about a marketplace where clubs are quoting 150 million euros for um, for wingers uh, who Premier League clubs want to sign. I'm talking here about Adam Traore, the Chinese owners of wolves know that manchester city and they know um, other top european clubs are keen to take adam of the summer and they're pricing him um, at 150 million so zh for you know potentially a third of that would be uh, i think a fantastic deal for chelsea and um interesting that they're, they're finally moving forward on something um, which suggests that frank lampard and marina granovskaya's um Interest in a player are, are finally aligned, and uh, and he he looks like he might be able to get someone in who he feels will improve the team and and bring as you say bring that a player in who's at the peak of his career, um, change the age age profile at Chelsea. Kind of got a, a surfeit of players in their late twenties or um, in their thirties, and then a, a huge group of players who are very talented, but at the young. Um, point in that age range which is causing Frank Lampard's problems getting them through the season What does this mean for a move by Chelsea for Jadon Sancho Ian, was there any interest from Frank Lampard at all in the player? I think it would be naive uh, to say none whatsoever Johnny, because uh, you're talking about an England international, a very young player clearly with a lot of talent um in terms of uh, what he's produced so far, he took the bold decision to leave uh, the sort of um, comforts of home life in England to go play uh, for British Dortmund. The Bundesliga it's obviously paid off for him uh, because he's uh, he's worked his reputation to this point where he's suddenly becoming uh, talked to as a 150 million pound player. Um, I don't think. Chelsea's interest, or certainly Frank Lampard's interest in particular, was ever as strong as a lot of people have claimed it to be. Uh, I do think that Frank has become, rightly or wrongly, has become the kind of the uh, the figurehead for promoting young English players. After what he did at Derby County during his season there, and now the fact that he is um, utilising 
his young English talent at Stamford Bridge as well. So I think it's going to be easy, it's an easy match make, isn't it, to say, well, you've got uh, a player who's still only 19 years of age, uh, turns 20 next month, uh, who has really done very, very well. Uh, I mean, in this season alone in the Bundesliga, uh, he scored 14 goals with 12 assists, um, two goals in the Champions League. 17 goals, 15 assists overall and 29 um, appearances. So for a player who plays as effective as a winger, again, he can play all the way across. He can play left wing, right wing, but also as a number 10. I think his preferred position is coming in from the left uh, onto his right foot. But that sort of presents problems for Frank in the sense that Callum Hudson-Odoi signed a very lucrative new contract at the start of this season. Uh, he plays there. Um and so you'd have to try and accommodate, well, either both or one. Or otherwise, you're, you've got two players who are very similar, similar ages, um, and um, both obviously will be earning a lot of money. So I would think that a more likely destination for Sancho would be Manchester United, who lack um, a player of his quality, of his creativity. Uh, he's, he can be a game breaker you can tell with those numbers in terms of assists and, and goals that this is a guy who in a tight game can do something special that will break the game uh, Manchester don't have that um, I don't think they, they've had that since Paul Scholes uh, retired a long time ago and of course there's the um, chance that he's all club Manchester City who again I mentioned the, the R word the rebuild word earlier um, will need to rebuild they could be uh, losing Leroy Zane to Bayern Munich, as we extensively reported on the transfer window. Uh, and, of course, Sancho would be a very good replacement, um, although not as fast and not as good a player at this moment in time. There remains uh, this question about his character. Uh, he was late successively for team meetings and training um, in a period earlier this season, before the turn of the year. Uh, Lucien Favre, the coach at Bristol Dortmund, uh, had two separate meetings uh, in different occasions with uh, Sancho and read him the riot act, uh, I believe. And since then, he has been exemplary in his behaviour. But uh, again, um, that's something which any club are going to spend such a huge amount of money uh, investing. That's not even counting his wages. Never, uh, it's just a transfer fee. We'd have to consider, you know, that is he growing up quickly enough uh, to have this amount of money and faith invested in him I think I think with Sancho you're looking at a maverick player he, he a lot of his chances he creates and and goals he's scoring is by doing something unexpected on the ball um, and that you know it's a great trait to have um, it's very valuable in the modern game but what Manchester City seem to want is a Zani replacement or a Zani equivalent alternative so the, the reason they're so attracted to Adama Traore is the pace from a standing start, the ability to um, go man-to-man -man with a defender and, and just use a bit of pace and a bit of skill to get beyond him uh, and, and put one of those cutbacks into the box from which Manchester City score so many goals and which they've badly missed with Zani not being there this season. I've said it time and time again, but they don't play deep block defences as well without Zani in the team as they do with him in the team. And and that's why they're targeting someone like Adama. And he, I'm told, is 
would be the priority over Jaden Sancho. I think the noise you're hearing around Jaden Sancho at the moment, so we've got repeated reports about uh, Manchester United interest and other clubs and him being ready to leave and, and, and English clubs wanting to make him a high-profile um, signing is an indication that, one, Dortmund are ready to sell in the summer. They're ready. They've they've got the development they think they could get from him. They have raised his value to the point where they think they can get over 100 million euros in a transfer market for him. They know that 100 million euro plus for Jaden Sancho is almost certainly going to come from England. So you have to push that line. And you also have the players' representatives doing the same thing. They're trying to get the best deal for the player and the best environment for their player. And I think... Um, I think you're right, Ziyech. Um, if Chelsea managed to secure that, makes it difficult for Sancho to get to Chelsea. Um, uh, Lampard was was opposed to bringing Sancho in in the in the January window. Didn't want that that scale of transfer to be associated with him as his first big deal at Chelsea. Um, problem with adding another young player, not really. Um, best fit into his tactical system, um, which allows Manchester United more chances for the player. Liverpool like Jadon Sancho a lot, but their briefing is that they don't want to overpay for a player of his type and uh, and don't want to overpay on wages um, for a player of his type and age, which could pro- uh, cause the kind of uh, dressing room dissent problems that you mentioned earlier, Ian. So that probably limits... Uh, realistic options for Sancho to Manchester United now. If Manchester City get Adama Traore, um, you certainly can't see Arsenal uh, putting bringing the kind of financial wherewithal together to to secure Jadon Sancho. If Liverpool decide he's too expensive, Chelsea go elsewhere. Um, it's an open door for Manchester United, who do want to recruit in that position, but are also looking at alternatives in that position. Um, which again might explain why you're hearing so noise, so much noise about Manchester United and Jadon Sancho at the moment, um, because the Dortmund and and Sancho's camp are perhaps pushing to get that deal through as quickly as possible. Well, we've been talking about Jadon Sancho and Manchester United, uh, City transfers, but Duncan, are they even going to be in the Champions League? next year they have a pretty serious case hanging over their heads right now it's a good question and Manchester City obviously expect to be in the Champions League next year and they're obviously doing their recruitment planning in a way that they expect not only to be in the Champions League next year but to be able to spend large amounts of money on it Um, Adama Traore is a great example there Uh, as we said on Tuesday's podcast I don't think that deal can be done for less than 80 million euros. And that's just one of the positions that Manchester City are prioritising. You could see as many as four first-choice players coming in this summer to satisfy Pep Guardiola's demands for an overall of that team and uh, and a better chance to go at the Champions League. What we've seen um, yesterday was the, the written uh, verdict from the Court of Arbitration of Sport on Manchester City's challenge to UEFA that they should throw out their um, financial fair play investigation against them on a technicality that uh, the the chief investigator of um, 
the the financial fair play um, disputes chamber, which is split into an investigatory chamber and an adjudicatory chamber. So City's claim is that the chief investigator, Eve Leterme, had leaked to um, first the New York Times and also to other newspapers. There's a series of four leaks they detail um, um, some of the elements of his investigation and that he was had asked the adjudicatory chamber to ban Manchester City for a year. Now, cast through that verdict back in November, but the, the interesting part about the, the written adjudication is it gives you a sense of the way Manchester City are trying to take every possible angle to block this process. Um, UEFA were extremely unhappy about the, the charges that that, um, that Manchester City raised. They described them as um, as a proposition that's not only legally wrong, it is misleading. And they said that Manchester City were trying in a totally artificial and misleading way to construe that the investigatory chamber has also rendered an additional decision, which Manchester City calls the leaks decision. Um, Cass also detail that Manchester City were pushing that UEFA would have to pay them damages for the, the process in which they'd assessed and investigated their claims. So they were, they were asking Cass not only to throw the case out of court, but also for um, financial damages to be imposed upon UEFA for even um, raising the the investigation and handling it in this fashion. Um, there's also some interesting detail of the uh, of the hearing that was held at CAS, where Manchester City sent through a team of no less than eight lawyers, uh, including a, a Queen's Counsel from the UK, who were arguing their case against the UEFA um, legal team, which was of just two individuals. Now. All of this has been thrown out. It will go back to um, the adjudicatory chamber to make a decision. What's also important here is it's the first time on record that we have evidence that the that Evla Term and the investigatory chamber have asked, requested, recommended that City be banned from the Champions League. So that report in the New York Times that they were uh, they'd recommended a one-year Champions League exclusion as a as a punishment for multiple breaches of financial fair play, which had been um, further evidenced by the, the, the football leaks, uh, documents and investigations uh, should be imposed. We now know that is what the adjudicatory chamber have to decide upon. Uh, and I think we also know that if the adjudicatory chamber are brave enough to impose that ban, Manchester City will straight back to CAS and run these arguments again. And there is an element in the CAS um, decision where it says they, were, they find some of um, the testimony from Yves Leterme worrisome. And they, um, they repeatedly state that we are, we're throwing this aside for the time being because a decision has not been made by UEFA yet. And we cannot judge an appeal until an official decision has been made from UEFA. If Manchester City are unhappy with the outcome. They have the right to appeal first to UEFA to have that um, outcome and sentence reduced. If they're not happy with the outcome of that appeal, they can go to CAS and run this case again. So it's it's not a case of of um, 
City have lost and there's no hope for them. I think they are still in a strong position, primarily for political reasons. I think there's a fear amongst UEFA um, of what would happen if they do impose the recommendation of a one-year ban. And there's a fear of the legal consequences and the costs that uh, that could be imposed upon them. And you see plenty of evidence of that in this, this TAS, CAS written decision. I think, though, um, Duncan, as, uh, as true as uh, your explanation of the current situation is, this feels like a watershed moment for football, and certainly for UEFA. Their right, their legal right, to govern football objectively is effectively being challenged and their reputation to do so and to be able to impose the correct penalties if a club is found to have transgressed rules. Then if their authority is undermined, then this it's like anarchy, isn't it? I'll give you a very quick analogy. Uh, a very good friend of mine has a head gamekeeper on a huge estate up in the north of England where they have grouse, and so they also have shoots and everything else. He breeds uh, his own gun dogs, and gun dogs are extremely smart and have to be completely and utterly subservient to their master, their trainer. Now, the reason for this, of course, is shoot, shoots are very potentially very dangerous, and it could lead to injury or worse for the dog itself or for one of the members of the party. Therefore, they're not allowed to bark at any point. No barking. First of all, you know, it's you end up scaring birds when you've got other people out there to beat the grouse, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, it can put someone off a shot, et cetera. But you must... Basically, my mate controls these dogs with a look, with his eyes. When they're born as puppies, obviously they're left they're kenneled outside because they're working dogs. When they bark because they're feeling, you know, insecure, lonely, cold, whatever it is, he has to go out. I say he has to. He chooses to go out and he pours ice-cold water on the puppy and leaves it there overnight freezing. And he's never once had any of his dogs bark again, having done that. Right now, Manchester City is the dog that's barking loudest. The dog that's the most ferocious, the one that wants is, and to be an up for the fight. And you've got UEFA as... The, the, the master or trainer and who needs to hold down the status quo and be authoritative in the way that it deals equitably with every single one of its member clubs. No favours, no bowing down just because you're the richest or one of the most richest clubs in the membership of UEFA. They fail in their duty to punish Manchester City for a transgression of rules of which they have been investigated and found guilty then they are failing in that duty and their authority will therefore be undermined. And the next time it won't be one dog that's barking, it'll be every dog barking and the whole thing will fall apart. So, as I said, it feels like a watershed moment. If UEFA cave in, then I think we'll definitely see, before too long, another case being brought uh, to be appealed against Cass will get involved again and we'll just be on this loop forever and ever. However, if UEFA are brave enough and, they, and remember, apply their own punishments based on the rules that they have in their constitution, that's all they're doing, then it's a warning to other clubs that it doesn't matter who you are and how much, much money you've got, you break the rules, you pay the price, you take the punishment. 
Now, that's the way the legal system works. It's the way UEFA and FIFA, I wouldn't say, well, I say it always works because of what's happened in FIFA in the last few years. But in this case, um, no one's going to be you know, sending um, American lawyers to write 300-page reports on whether or not the investigatory chamber did the jo job properly. So the, the, the judiciary chamber is the one now which must pass the sentence and UEFA must impose it. Simple as that. I think, look, if, if they don't, as you say, there's a huge problem for UEFA. These aren't technical rules. They're not some subsidiary process, um, uh, which is additional to the Champions League competition. They're fundamental to the Champions League rules. They're part of the Champions League rules. Um, if you allow one of the most affluent clubs, because it's owned by uh, a nation state, to uh, spend as much money as it likes, um, ignoring the rules that are being followed by other competitive clubs, um, you you end up with an imbalanced competition. It's it's almost as though you you have the referee applying different rules um, on the field of play to one team uh, from the other. And uh, we know how much we all take offence to that kind of refereeing when we watch a football match. And and this is effectively what um, what Manchester City have managed to. Achieved by subterfuge uh, is the accusation which has been exposed by the, the Football League's documents. And, uh, and now UEFA have, a, have the opportunity to remedy um, that breach of the rules. And, and this is the decision that is placed in front of them. OK, we're moving on now to the legendary quickfire round. And this week we've been inspired by Pep Guardiola, who said in a reference to his side's upcoming Champions League match against Real Madrid... If we don't beat them, then the chairman will come or the sporting director and say, it's not good enough. We want the Champions League. I'm going to sack you. So with that in mind, we're going to have a look at the safety of the managers in the Premier League's big six clubs. I'm going to give you a name, guys. You're going to tell me how safe they are. And then I'm going to pass on the next name to your colleague. So we're going to start with you, Duncan and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> Why does Duncan get all the fun? <laughs> I want to answer um, that one. Well, if you if you listen to uh, to Manchester United's briefing, then he would be the the safest of all of the six managers we're going to talk about because they've got a three year strategy and he's not expected to to do anything competitively in the Champions League and the Premier League to the end of that. And uh, he's central to their um, cultural reboot recruitment process. They're very happy with the players they've bought so far. Bruno Fernandes is evidence of, of how intelligent their analytics and recruitment is. And it's just a matter of time to get there. Um, I think the reality is he's in, in a great deal of danger. I think he's certainly in the most danger of, of all those managers in the, in the top six. Um, we talked on Tuesday about Maurizio Pochettino targeting that job and the conversations that have been held with his people. Um, he is the man in waiting. He is the option Manchester United have if they decide that Solskjaer is, and this is of a great possibility now they're down to eighth in the in the Premier League that he's going to miss Champions League football again, and um, and they need an upgrade to get better out of the resources they have at the moment. Okay, Ian, I'll try and give you a, a, a good one. Let's be I'll honest. I'll tell you what I'm going to do before that. Can I just, I just want to put in because I reckon if Ollie was asked that same question that Pet was asked, Ollie's answer would be, are you serious? There's no no game I can't lose by any margin that will get me the sack. And that's proven it. 
<laughs> Ian, I'm going to ask you to deliver your verdict on the man himself who inspired this round, Mr. Pep Guardiola. Um, well, look, I, I think Guardiola's halos definitely slipped, but um, I, I hear nothing from uh, Chiki Bagheristan or Ferran Soriano um, which suggests that they, they want to sack him this summer. Um, he himself will admit that uh, this has been a very disappointing season. Um, I think there was another quote recently from Guardiola which showed uh, either he is genuinely humble or that he wants to appear genuinely humble when he said, uh, he was asked if he was the best coach in the world. He said, uh, no, how can I be? Uh, I can only be the best coach in the world if you give me a team like Man City. If you give me a bad team, then I'll be the worst manager in the world. So at least he's grateful for what he's got. Um, I would say that at this moment in time, there are options for Manchester City out there if they want to change coach. But I do believe that they feel that they owe Guardiola the right to complete his contract if he chooses to, based on um, obviously retaining the title, last year's domestic treble, the fact that uh, he's well, more or less well-liked amongst the squad, but that's going to be tested a little bit this summer when players move on who are influential in dressing room, like David Silva, um, and new players are brought in. And so far, his, his record of buying and integrating players in, in, into his team, you think about John Stones, uh, uh, even recently, João Cancelo, uh, there's been quite a lot of players bought, brought into Man. Rodri's not been so consistent. A lot of players brought into Manchester City who, with, with you know, good, great reputations and and should be good players, but not actually managed to be properly integrated to be consistent performers in the team. So he's got that. Well, that rebuild at Manchester City is going to be a very interesting one because it's it's they've got the money to do it brilliantly, but. You know, do they have the coach who can actually rebuild on that scale in a very short space of time? I'm not sure. I'd say he's safe, I'd, Johnny. I never thought I'd see the day where Duncan Castles embraces the concept of the quickfire, but Ian McGarry completely abandons it. I know, I know. You can tell I'm rusty. <laughs> You're rusty. You? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> Duncan, on to Mr. Frank Lampard. Look, I, I think Frank should be safe. Um, I think he has... Uh, he has done well in the circumstances. Um, they've lost a lot of games there, but they are in that Champions League slot at present. Um, he's produced very entertaining football, albeit defensively quite naive at times. We talked about him making tactical errors in matches, which you'd expect of a, uh, a coach in his first, a manager in his first season at Premier League level, but also showing a lot of potential and a lot a lot of, of plus to to what he has done. I think the biggest risk for Frank Lampard isn't really on the field of play. It's in the conflict with the boardroom and uh, and being able to manage that dynamic of uh, of keeping the ownership of Chelsea um, and those that run Chelsea Football Club happy with him and getting from them the resources he needs to produce the results in the medium term, because I don't think they, they, they want to sack him at the end of the season. This is a good scenario for them, having lots of youth players in the squad. And it looks, they have a good chance of retaining Champions League football. 
as well. So I think he, he's safe short term. Um, but like any Chelsea manager, he has to be careful of, of what he does, what he says, and, and where and when he picks his fights. Okay, Ian, your turn. How do you assess the unlikely marriage between Mr. Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho? Well, it's um, it's not gone as expected in terms of results, um, the way that either men would have liked, clearly. Uh, it, it was a bit of a difficult situation to arrive. Uh, Mourinho hates, in fact, I think it's the first time he's ever taken over a club since very early days in, in Portugal, uh, in the middle of a season. Um, so... They won't sack him. They've invested too much, both financially and in his reputation. So I, I don't think he'll be sacked this summer, um, even though even if they don't make top four, they'll make Europa League. There's stuff going on at Tottenham right now, uh, which of which Jose Mourinho is either partially aware of um, or maybe even fully aware of that he's aware, certainly, of what Levy expects of him in terms of where he wants the team to be, etc. etc. I think he is also aware that there is a, a kind of off-the-radar marketing exercise going on right now, and that is to try and find a buyer for the club. Um, uh, stadium's now completed. Uh, American football franchise uh, will be expected to be delivered within 18 months to two years. Uh, basically, Tottenham Hotspur are now effectively a bank. You cannot lose money if you own Tottenham Hotspur. They are, the amount of money they make from match day revenue... Their transfer policy has been very, very fiscal and um, and they've achieved uh, European football year in, year out. And so Jose Mourinho's there as the kind of experienced, high-profile, um, steady hand so that when um, potential buyers come in and look, they look at the most important executive uh, who's not in the boardroom and they see a manager like Mourinho, a serial winner, and they think, OK, um, he's clearly a guy that we can trust and if we don't like him, we'll get rid of him. So that'd be their their decision. I think that was part of the um, the politics of appointing Mourinho uh, and also part of the football project. So uh, I don't think it's you throw the baby out of the bathwater for that reason. Okay, Duncan, uh, to another man who perhaps hasn't had the start he would have wished for, Mikel Arteta. Definitely not the start he wished for. I mean, looking at his Premier League performances so far, just one win from seven matches, just eight goals scored, lots of draws. Um, he's only lost the, the one match, but uh, that's not what Arsenal were hoping for when they appointed him. And and obviously the idea is, it for, is for it to be a long-term project for him to implement that kind of style of football that was working for Manchester City. Um, it's a risky decision to go for uh, a man with no experience leading a football team before and put him in charge of one of what remains the, the blue chip clubs in, in English football. Um, but I, and, I, and I think that degree of risk is the thing that gives him an insurance policy because the, this um, leadership team at Arsenal, which has changed quite radically in recent years um, with Wenger going, but also with the chief executive leaving, with um, Stan Kroenke's son starting to take uh, a far more visible role in the running of the club, they have a lot invested in Arteta working uh, and will therefore give him as much time as possible to make it happen. And, and Arteta will have an argument, obviously, that he needs different players um, and he needs a proper uh, summer transfer market to, to bring those players in 
and give them the pre-season, which is very important for for um, managers who give such detailed tactical instruction as Arteta does to work with those players and, and ingrain the, the systems he wants to to play into him. But um, yeah, it's not it's not been impressive, put it that way, and um, and perhaps not entirely un, unpredictable given the degree of risk that was involved in giving him that job. Okay, Ian, round us off with probably the easiest one, Jurgen Klopp. Oh, definitely gone. Absolutely. Dreadful job he's been doing. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyone can imagine this amount of success with a club which perennially fails must be something he's, he's doing wrong. But that's that your answer? That one <laughs> I think that just about sums it up. Good. Well, the whistle has blown on this episode of the Thinking Fans Football Podcast. We'll be back on Monday with another episode to keep you up to date with all the biggest news from Planet Football. We have now got multiple social media accounts. You can follow us at Transfer Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow Duncan at Duncan.Castles. At Duncan.Castles, that's on Instagram. You can follow us You can follow us all individually on Twitter as well. I am at Johnny R. McFarlane. Ian is at GarboSG and Duncan is at DuncanCastles. No dot in the Twitter, but a dot in Instagram. Basically, the big picture is there's debate on every social media channel, even on Facebook. So if you want to discuss the podcast or any of the things we bring up, they're always going to be a platform for you to do that. Um, You can also go on to iTunes and give us a five-star review, which would be very, very, very much appreciated uh, as that helps us get the podcast to as many listeners as possible. Until next time, thanks for listening.